1: Hello and welcome. This is Samson Folk talking to you and you are listening to the Raptors Sixers preview with the the enemy. Okay, (laughs) I'm talking to Jackson Frank who started out writing about basketball. Yes, of course, but came with this big focus on the Philadelphia 76ers. Now he writes league wide dime up rocks basketball news Liberty Ballers, but I tell you this. I've had him on this podcast before. You've heard him talking about the Raptors in particular. And now with that in the background, we get to see what he thinks of this team after being so complimentary as they go to face the Philadelphia 76ers, who he covers. So Jackson, how in the hell are you? I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm
0: really looking forward to this series. It's you know clearly a team with divergent styles and uh, personnel, and it should be a really interesting series to watch and and analyze over the next couple of days that it's been the last five days to analyze and break down.
1: Are you, are you able to be completely objective when it comes to the 76ers? I think, I think for the most part beyond, I mean, people who know my work know I've got a pretty, you know,
0: I I have an appreciation for Joel Embiid more than other players. Um, But as a team, I don't, I don't really care how they do beyond it's cooler to cover a team deeper in the playoffs because it magnifies your work and your coverage. but on a night-to-night basis, I don't really have an interest in how they do, um, but obviously, I really enjoy Joel Embiid, and it's fun to, you know, have your team be one of the last standing, because as I said, it puts a little more emphasis on your work. I think in our in our field, it seems like people do a pretty good job of rewarding the people who cover the team all year, in it and from a very close personal lens, and so I think that from that perspective, you know, I, I want them to go deep, but I don't actually have much of a a rooting interest in, in how they do on a night-to-night basis or the playoffs. But from my chance of getting my work recognized, there's definitely a little bit of, you know, appreciation when they make it farther, but I don't actually have much of a you know, an investment in them.
1: Okay, so from the, you want your work recognized down the line of this playoffs point of view, does anybody on the Raptors put the fear of God in you? Are you like, oh, holy smokes, <laughs> this guy, I, I don't know what's going to happen in this series. I mean, I, I think... You know, it's just based off how the season series went. To me, it's it's obviously obviously Pascal. Um, good,
0: <laughs> and then and then also Chris Boucher. Um, he's I don't I don't know what I I don't know exactly what his numbers are are this year against the the Sixers, but he's had a couple of huge games, especially on the offensive glass. Um, he's so good at kind of using his timing and length to, to crash in there. Um, obviously, he's dating back maybe two or three years now. He's, he's had some big games against the six. I remember last year when he really gave Dwight Howard fits in one of those games that maybe three or four threes in the third or fourth quarter of a game when they came back. So um, those would be the main guys to me. But obviously, Precious Achua has done well on both ends in a couple of games. I think back to that March 20th game, especially when he was really good against Joel Embiid, whether it was fronting or you know, matching his quickness. So. Um, those are the three to me that really stand out, but obviously it starts with Pascal who's just been, you know, uh, on a tear and, you know, we'll get into it, but I mean, he's, he's basically been able to cover for the fact that Fred Benaville has not been very good post all-star break. And so, you know, they haven't really missed a beat despite their all-star point guard struggling mightily. And that's largely been on the back of Pascal making a very credible and and late season all
1: NBA charge. So for anybody who's listening, they've heard, me talk about what the Raptors do to stop Joel Embiid. They've, you know, they've seen some of the video breakdowns they've heard me talk about on the podcast, but I haven't talked that much about how the 76ers will look to stop Pascal Siakam. And while the, the answer might seem obvious to some people, maybe it isn't to others. So from your point of view, is there a cascading series of events that you want to see happen? Like something they try first, if that doesn't work, here's what they go to second. How would you guard Pascal in that series?
0: Yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, when I talk about clash of styles, one of the biggest things is kind of the Raptors are this this team that's really athletic and long and mobile and quick in the front court. And while they're maybe not the most, they're not maybe the most traditionally skilled team, you're not talking about them being this incredible passing team and who can shoot the heck out of the ball, maybe beyond, you know, a Fred or, you know, a Pascal, Um the the Sixers, the opposite, where they're they're very skill-based team. They don't have they're not flying off the ground with their front court. Um, as good as an athlete as Joel is, he's not some explosive leaper. Um, they're very much more skewed toward the ball skills, the shooting, whether it's Tobias Harris, George Yang, Danny Green, Joel Embiid, even James Harden. And so that makes for a very tough place to be when you're matching up with a guy like Pascal Siakam, who is long and quick and mobile and all those things. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Danny Green get the first crack. He's obviously going to start most likely. Um Doc Rivers talked last week about them kind of starting Danny the last few games because of continuity purposes given the fact Matisse Thybulle will not be able to play in at least games 3 and 4 and in a possible game 6 if it gets that far in uh, in Toronto. Um he and he did some okay things last week against Pascal. Pascal was obviously sensational. Um but Danny still, you know, for all of his decline in terms of lateral mobility and things like that, still has good strength, still understands the angles really well, good hands. Um, I'm not saying he's going to slow Pascal. I'm not, I don't predict us to have a, a repeat of the 2018-19 series by any means, um, in part because of the personnel the Sixers have now and also because Pascal is a much more well-rounded offensive player. Um, but I think we'll definitely see long stretches of Joel on Pascal. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, it can't be a carbon copy approach to 2018, 19, where it was largely like, okay, Pascal, we know you love to put your head down and use your quickness and, and kind of your handle to get, to get to the rim. Let's just have you shoot jumpers and have you shoot off the dribble and shoot above the break threes. And that's not really your game back then. Um, now Pascal is pretty comfortable from mid range and shooting off the dribble. And, you know, I think he has more counters to, you know, find his room and space in the paint. We saw you know, play late in that game last week where Joel was on and Joel kind of got caught reaching, you know, Pascal drives, a little ball fake, spin, finish, had another really nice finish through contact against Joel. So um, Joel's proven to, you know, kind of step it up defensively the last few years in the playoffs. So uh, I think, you know, even if this is a tougher matchup, I'm not saying he's going to sh- shut down Pascal, but I think you could perform better than he did on, on Thursday. But point being is, clearly the Sixers kind of went to their break, you know, in case of emergency option by putting Joel on Pascal late and Pascal wasn't really bothered the same way he was. He wasn't bothered by George Nying and Danny Green and, and, and Tobias Harris. So um, that's where I think they'll go. But I don't expect it to be some really seamless situation and an answer like it was in, um, in 2018-19. obviously Pascal was farther down the pecking order back then, but, um, the Sixers had quite quite considerable success, putting Joel on, on Pascal, but I don't expect that to be the case this year, even if Joel is able to limit, you know, the the all NBA caliber forward.
1: So when we think of how the Raptors guard Joel Embiid, they don't ever really expect one person to do it. As you talked about, Precious Situah has had a good game. Precious Situah has won some possessions in single coverage, but that's more so about how the Raptors are kind of gapping behind him. And loading up. And that's my question for you now is if you're the 76ers, are you less worried about who the primary on Pascal is and more so worried about scheme behind him? Because Pascal, his quotes all throughout this year, that basically he doesn't pay much attention to his primary defender. And that's kind of evident by the way he handles primary defenders at this point in time, too. So what would you try to do behind a Danny Green, or if it's Nyang uh switched on to him or something like that, or even Joel Embiid?
0: You're asking if from this from the Raptors perspective, what I would be doing, you know, in terms of help against Joel. Is that
1: no, is that no, fair? I mean, sorry, how would you how would you help against Pascal? Because the Raptors, oh, we know okay. the Raptors we know are gonna run the gambit of like we're gonna overload on Joel and make guys make shots. Do you expect mm-hmm. a similar uh, schematic bent from the 76ers versus Pascal?
0: Yeah, well, this is this is where you kind of run into some issues with the Sixers personnel, right? Because they're two best helpers. That will be available for every game um, are Joel Embiid and Danny Green, but those are also your two best options <laughs> against Pascal. Um, you know, Harden his off-ball defense has kind of ebbed and flow with the Sixers. At times, it's actually been pretty solid. At times, he's just been too he's just been a step slow because he doesn't have the lateral quickness. Other times, he just isn't you know offering the level of necessary attention or attentiveness. Um, so I think you'll probably like, I think you'll probably see Danny Green start out as the primary guy and use Joel as a helper because you want um, you want Joel to be able to kind of clog those passing lanes. You know, the, the Raptors aren't a huge, you know, shooting team, uh, and they're already crashing the glass a lot when guys get in the lane because they want to be well positioned for an offensive rebound, which is, you know, obviously an integral part of their half court ethos. Um, Joel has those great hands. So we can maybe clog some of those passes to guys in the dunker spotter, cutting from the baseline, the short corner. Um, Danny is similar, where he's obviously not the same caliber of help defender and, you know, with this size and whatnot, but, um, still has some of the best hands in the NBA and and his timing is really good. So, um, in in that vein, I don't think I'd be surprised if we see Tobias get some minutes on, on Pascal. I don't think that's a good matchup for the Sixers. Um, but you have to, you have to kind of allow your help defenders to be available at times. You can't, you can't put them on Pascal all the time because, you know as we all know pascal has become such a good passer when people you know just shade a step or two in his direction on drives and face ups and um you know those interior passes have become so good this year and he's so patient um obviously he's not Giannis, but i think you see some similarities in kind of the way they approach downhill drives this year with their pivots and their counters and their ability to make reads when people send help um and that's that's an issue for the sixers obviously the sixers can't guard Giannis. And they haven't been able to prove to guard Pascal this year in the three games that he's uh, been available. So um, I would, you know, I don't know exactly who the who the Raptors are going to start, um, you know, just because they've had some injuries and whatnot. But I would, whoever the Sixers deem the least threatening offensive player in that starting five or on a given lineup whenever Pascal is out there, I would put Joel on him or Danny on him if, if Joel is taking the primary assignment of Pascal at that time. And just really kind of be quick and help. And obviously with Danny, quickness is not a strong suit of his these days. Um, so it puts them in a bind. But that's what I'd be looking to do. Um, just kind of, you know, it, it just not you you want to funnel the ball out of Pascal's hands, even makes a great read. You maybe feel okay with precious around the rim, given his struggles as an interior, you know, his 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 struggles kind of with touch around the basket. Um, you maybe you as good as Chris Boucher has been this year, you maybe want to put the ball in his hands more. Um, so that's, that's where I'd be looking at, but you want to make sure that that help is coming from a guy who was equipped to actually offer credible help, right? You don't want it to be a James Harden or a George Yang or a, a Tyrese Maxey, um, just because they're probably not going to bother Pascal because Pascal has shrugged off help from ill-suited defenders all year. Uh, and so it's really gotta be diligent coming from, you know, Danny or, or Joel, and maybe even a Paul Reed at times, I think he's going to get minutes again. Um, this, is, you know, this is not to say that he is going to slow any of these guys, but he's one of their rangiest and quickest and uh, you know, most athletic guys in the front court. And it looks like with the Raptors not having a traditionally size five, um, Paul Reed is going to get some time. So that's where I'd be really calculated is making sure that help is coming from a guy who can actually bother um, Pascal, which is hard to do. But I think those are your three best options with 2 Danny, and, and Paul Reed.
1: Okay. And on the other side of things, Joel Embiid is obviously the biggest factor for the Raptors as far as keying in on defense. We've seen it during the regular season matchups, which I know you've watched, and the Raptors have had really great success to middling success. But even so, in the last game they played, Nick Nurse after the game said, we didn't have to show as much as we thought. So he's hinting at the idea that they have more in the bag to throw at him defensively, and they certainly can get more adventurous. But how have you thought that matchup has gone from a 76ers point of view. Do you think that there are things that are easily correctable and how do you see it, you know, kind of playing out during the series?
0: Yeah. So I think, I think the way I've tried to look at it, and I hope this to anyone listening or you, it doesn't come off as understand what the Raptors have done like i think they've done a very good job especially in the last two games when they've had you know a lot of guys available the first two were kind of weird you know joel they've played a very undermanned team you know early in the year uh, and then obviously joel missed the first game i think that the raptors won back in november but joel's also missed quite a few shots that like you've grown accustomed to making the last couple of years um mm-hmm. you know in that game against on march 20th um precious was great they did a lot of good things against him they forced him in some less than optimal shots, but he also had what three or four shots from out that game. Um, same thing kind of happened down the stretch of that game on April 7th. Um, of course, you know, when you have to work so hard to get some of the shots you all does, that's maybe the product is you're not quite as sharp. So that's a testament to the Raptors. But um, the other thing that I think has the situation have had some success with is when the Raptors front and Harden's out there. Um, Harden has been pretty good at making those passes over the top and only plays that you all can get them because he's mm-hmm. seven foot seven one with a, the with a ridiculous wingspan and Harden has really good touch. So um, that's one thing I think you have to be kind of encouraged by if you're a Sixers fan or you know in the Sixers organization is that you have a great passer like um, like Harden. Now like if this was if this was a team this was last year's team uh, it, like just you put Ben Simmons on this team and you still give him Tyrese Maxey of this year and all that the Sixers would be in a really tough spot because they don't, they wouldn't have a credible half court passer. Um, Harden is obviously that he can get the ball to, the, to Joel in spots that most people and, and te- te- most people can't and maybe defenses feel is a, a good situation for them. So um, that that's a bonus for them. I think, you know, something that does work against them as, and you've, you had the really cool breakdown um, in that game that Joel really struggled was they, they've kind of, the Raptors have inverted those, those kind of pick and roll coverages on the weak side or, you know, whether it's, you know, the the, ta- the tagger taking, you know, a different responsibility, that, that puts him in a tough spot um, because Harden, for all of his brilliance as a passer, does have some kind of read he doesn't like to make or is not comfortable making. Um, I can never remember if it's right to left or ref- left to right for him as a driver and passer, but one of those is not his strong suit. Um, and so the Raptors have kind of manipulated that a little bit. They've obviously taken advantage of Matisse. Um, you know, it's interesting because the Sixers offense didn't miss a beat in that last game um, without Matisse, but they also shot 52 or 53% from three, which is not something you see across a four or five, six, seven game series. Um, but the offense looked a lot smoother than it did when they scored 88 points in Philly, and, and that was a you know a rock fight. Um, so I think the advantage the Sixers have ha- will have is that you know, this, the Raptors are going to switch a lot of that stuff, right? They're going to switch a lot of ball screens because Harden has struggled against switches this year, struggled against the Raptors' switches, but that means the Sixers have to get the ball to do well, and they'll be able to kind of tilt the defense. Um, and they have, you know, in the starting lineup, they're going to have four scoring slash shooting threats around Joel, whether it's Danny or Tyrese a Tobias or James. Um, that doesn't mean that every time the ball swings to one of those guys' way, it's going to be a great possession. Sometimes Tobias or Danny will hesitate. Sometimes James will hesitate. Sometimes the length of Toronto will just be too much for Tyrese to get off a clean shot, whether it's a three or attacking off the catch. But I think if you can get, if you can switch, if they're going to switch those actions and you can get the ball to Joel, you should generally feel encouraged about how that possession will unfold. Doesn't mean you will feel encouraged, but that'll be the emphasis is you can't have a James, a Tobias, a Tyrese dancing too much against the switch. You got to get the ball to Joel when he worked hard for it and just play from there. And I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing here is can can they make that happen consistently? Otherwise, the Raptors are probably going to win. If you have James taking seven setback threes in a game, you know, that's that's probably a win for the for the for the Raptors, even if James is, is hitting a lot of those. And I think, you know, he's been up and down this year as a shooter, but you still maybe feel okay with some of those back threes. And I went through and watched a lot of the shots he's taken this year against the Raptors. They've done some good things, but he's also missed, I want to say at least five or six pretty quality looks from three. Um, he's still getting the free throw line a lot. I think his free throw rates like fifty percent in the three or four games against the Raptors. Um, but he's like four of seventeen from three. Um, so there's some variance there. Um, he's actually shot the ball well at the rim, you know, which is where I think he's like nine of thirteen at the rim this year against the Raptors. But um, so, point being is they've given us some issues, but also did some variance in play. But there'll be variance in play in a, a playoffs here. That's always the, the way things go. So um the short answer is get the ball as you those switches and kind of just trust what happens from that because the Raptors are going to send help and has become one of the best passing big men in the NBA even if he has you know a few warts
1: still in that regard I think you definitely hit on the most important aspect is that James the playmaker is the guy who has the potential to kind of break this series open at this point because James the scorer is, isn't as valuable as joel the scorer or tyrese maxi the weak side attacking blur and that kind of stuff it's just trying to mine advantages instead of leaning back on player the player that you think you are or the player that you used to be and i I certainly james harden one of my favorite players of all time i don't mean that in a you know a degrading way or anything like that it's just he's operating with a different set of bursts. he's operating with different bursts currently and he's He's not able to access some of the things that he used to be able to. So him working and relying on his ball skills and his reads of the floor, as you said, like those, those hit ahead passes, he had four of them. I think four of his 15 assists in the last game of the season were just on those. And it came with the Raptors fronting on the weak side. When Joel Embiid was all the way across the court, it came with the Raptors fronting as they were trying to get Embiid in the middle of the post. It's, there's a very wide array of passes that James Harden can make. And it seems more dangerous to utilize them like that than it would be for the, as you said, like isolations, whether they work or not, it seems like better offensive process to rely on his, his playmaking. But it, it is interesting to think about how that'll turn out. I'm curious what you think about Tyrese Maxey and Tobias. Well, let's do Tyrese Maxey first and how you think he'll fit into this series, because I think he could be somebody who just completely breaks the Raptors defense open over and over again on just attacking the weak side when they're tilted already.
0: Yeah, I, I think you signed it up really well, um, like on both fronts. That you probably need Harden to be more of the playmaker than the scorer um, because I think Maxi has set up really well in this series. Um, he's played well against the Raptors in all three games, I believe. Um, at least two of them. He had thirty-three in the the game with, or all four, excuse me. Um, so many key guys missed at least one or two of these games. It's super hard to keep track. But Tyrese did not. Tyrese played all four. Um, because he largely was ready to play heavy minutes in basically every game this year because he's a delight. Um, but at 33 in the game without Joel, 22 in the loss um, last week, and had a personal 7 0 run that kind of brought the game back from teetering to a double digit loss to a game that came down to the last two or three minutes still. Um, and it's as you said, I mean, just his. The Raptors are so aggressive, you know, just in general defensively, with you know their high turnover rates and playing the passing lanes and, and whatnot, and especially against you know sending help to Joel and sending help to Harden even at times, that there's a lot of creases in the defense for Maxi to exploit. And one of his strengths is knowing how to get to those spots in the defense with his speed, and he's done that really well this year, um, against the Raptors especially. So, I think you need Harden to be this primary playmaker who still is able to get his 13, 14, 15 shots, one of his issues against the Raptors this year is that his scoring volume is a little bit more limited um, just because he hasn't been comfortable to get to the shots that he wants. Um, I think he's averaging about 12 shots per game uh, against the Raptors, about 15 on the year, about 13 and a half with the the Sixers. And so um, that's the biggest concern is beyond maybe some shooting variance. You just worry that he's not going to be able to get off the volume that maybe he needs or you need as the Sixers, which lends itself to being like Okay, Harden, you're still as good a passer as you've ever been. Let's get the ball into this hands, the hands of Tyrese, who is not as good of a passer, but might be more equipped as a scorer than you at this stage. It doesn't make you a better player. Like you still are catalyzing these opportunities for him, but he has a level of speed and maybe t- kind of shot diversity that you don't right now. So let's let, let's leverage everything you do as a playmaker and Joel, you do as kind of a commander of attention and say, Okay, Terry, do your thing. You average 18 points a game on well above league average efficiency this year. You're a very good shooter. You can get to the rim. You can get to that mid-range. Let's let you do your thing. So I think he's going to be a guy that you want to get maybe more scoring volume than he had in the regular season. And whether he can handle that is still up to is yet to be seen. If, you know, that just remains the fact that even though he played last year in the playoffs, this is his first year in a really, really, really preeminent role. Um, he was very much a change of pace guy last year, gave him a good. Good, you know, I- injection of energy in that game six against the Hawks last year, um, but it's a different story when you are a starter and probably the second best slash two B scorer uh, on this team. Uh, and you can, but if you want to say with Harden, obviously Harden can still get to the foul line a lot, which is important. Um, but it's a different experience, a different way that teams guard you. So um, we'll be curious, but you have to be encouraged from what he did this year against the Raptors. And so I agree that you probably want Harden to be that playmaker and, and really give maxi a lot of touches as a scorer and I think you probably want him to get at least the same amount of shots as as Harden probably more just depending on how things go I expect we'll see Harden have a couple of good games to start the series just because this year when he's had prolonged rest he's been really good whether it's um, immediately after the trade to the Sixers. Um, I think he had some good games early in the year against the with the Nets when he, and he had a lot of actually really good games with the Nets at times, but a lot of them came when he had a little more rest. So um, having about a week off, yeah, I would expect him to have at least, you know, a couple of games where he's really good as a scorer, but I don't think that's going to be the case throughout. And that means you're going to have to give Terry a lot of touches. And he's earned them throughout the year, but we still need to see whether that translates to the playoffs. I think it, it should translate pretty well. Um, Tyrese is shown to be a guy who just is always ready for the moment, which sounds a little cliche, but it's really the truth of him if you've watched him. And so that's that's where I would go is really on him as a score because I think he's well equipped to exploit kind of the Raptors' frenzied defense.
1: You think there's a possibility if James is limited as a score, let's say it's game four or something like that, that the 76ers isolate Maxi on the side of the floor where. Embiid and, and Harden on the weak side, and just trying to let Maxi beat a guy in isolation. Do you think that's something that they might go to?
0: I, I think I think they could at times. I worry a little bit because, as good as Tyrese is, like he's still a six one six two guard who is incredibly explosive, but. You got to be so so explosive at that size to get an advantage against a six seven six eight six nine guy who can cover ground like that um so i worry a little bit about how effective it could be but i wouldn't be surprised if we see it if it's if they get kind of the right matchup obviously the Raptors are gonna switch a lot and as much as they don't really surrender you know any sort of advantage with that kind of those that glut of rangy wings they're not all made the same right some of them are a little more mobile some of them are a little more disciplined and quickly to react to movement so if they get the matchup they feel is right, um I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. Like I I, I think Chris Boucher's been really good this year in a lot of ways, but I don't think the Sixers would be really deterred from maybe, you know, if they get it, if they get Maxi versus Boucher, like Boucher still has some issues kind of with, you know, if he can with changing direction quickly, flipping his hips around, um, things like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's maybe the matchup we see, or um, you know like even even a scotty at times you know i think scotty's done some really good things but you still see some limitations in his lateral mobility so um maybe in certain matchups but i wouldn't want them to just be like oh we got tyrese isolated let's let the attack. you got to be very diligent with who is on tyrese because as much as you could just say every raptor's wing is the same defensively that's not the case at all um they help collaborate on a very like-minded nature defensively but they're they're all distinct in their own ways and you got to be very cognizant of that but i wouldn't be surprised if we see it but i don't think they should just mindlessly embrace it all the time
1: okay now the trio of fred og and gary trent jr let's start with fred first as a from the 76ers point of view how do you feel coming into this series no knowing how he's been performing since the all-star break knowing that he's been laboring with that knee Where do you think the stressor points are for the 76ers defense? And do you expect Fred to be able to access those and to actually deliver offensively at a decent clip?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just, just first off, it's really, it's really a bummer. Um, Yeah. (laughs) With, I mean, Fred was so brilliant through four months um i just want to just want to like acknowledge even if i'm going to talk about maybe some of the worries i have i want to just get like fred has been such a joy for four months and even if he's had some fun moments even post all-star break um clearly wasn't quite able to handle 38 minutes tonight given his monstrous two-way workload um which most players aren't i don't think that's an indictment on him it's just the reality (laughs) um so i i I don't know where the six are going to go i i honestly think we'll probably get maxi on, on on Van Fleet for stretches, um, and I think in some ways that will be okay for the Sixers. But one of the areas Maxi still is really working to nail down consistency with defensively is kind of things on the weak side um, when it, when 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 kind of the action can get jumbled or a little confusing, he can kind of struggle to kind of know exactly what his decision making process should look like. And one of the things that Fred is really good at it's just kind of like slyly relocating around the wings and maybe you think he's not in a position to shoot, but his range is so good that he just kind of moves up from maybe the kind of the corner to like the slot or the 45 cut area and he's 33 feet from the rim, but you still, you're like, Oh, okay, I'm good. But all of a sudden the ball swings his way and, and Fred takes a wide open three from an area he's comfortable. And you're like, ah, crap. Um, and so that's something I think Maxie could struggle with, but I think on the ball, like they both have really good center of gravity. And Maxie is, I would say, inconsistent, but generally solid navigating screens, um, even if it's not like perfect by any means. We're not talking about a Herb, Herbert Jones or Michael Bridges type guy there, but um, generally pretty solid. So I think that could work in his favor in picking roles. Um, but, you know, the Raptors have some pretty good screeners. Um, you know, I think namely Ken Birch is, is very, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he's been a pretty good screener throughout his career. Um, I don't know how much he's going to play just if they're all healthy, but. Um, that's a guy that can maybe force some suboptimal switches, you know, you know, um, for, for Fred or, you know, or I guess favorable matches for Fred that are suboptimal for the six, from the six perspective. Um, but I, I, just, I don't know what to expect with Fred. You'd imagine that a week off or maybe a little more than a week off helps him. Um, I can't remember the last time he played maybe was it that Atlanta game? Maybe, I don't know exactly when he last suited up. Um, but that should help, but I don't know. I mean, he just, he just struggled so much and I think he's still been solid defensively, but clearly has not had that same level of kind of verve and range and activity defensively, whether it's playing the nail and being a step slower recovering to his man or a stunt or it's navigating the screen or staying in front on the ball. Um, so I like, I, I do worry about Fred a lot. And I think he's really important to the Raptors and I like them getting it. Like I, I think if if Fred and Pascal, if their peaks converge in the play, their sheet, their regular season peaks converge in the playoffs, like I wouldn't be surprised if this team makes it all the way to the east current final. I think they're good enough. Mm-hmm. But Fred has not played anywhere close to even all in all-star level, you know, over the last couple of months, unfortunately. So I, I don't have a great expectation for him, really. I, I just, I, I wish I had more insight there, but it's just so tough to know because it's it's really been a, a tale of two seasons for Fred. And and I think if he's at his best, he's going to give the six a lot of issues because their point of attack defense is not very good. And it's even worse without Matisse Seibel in half the games or so. Um, at least, you know, at least two of four, maybe three of seven or three of six. And that puts them in a tough spot. So um, I think if Fred's good, like I think if he's good to go on his knees or maybe the week off is all he needed, um, then the Raptors to be in a pretty good position here. But I can't bank on that from the Raptor perspective, just because it's been two months and we've seen consistently Fred be that guy. Um, but I do think he'll still have some success kind of with his relocation instincts against Max. He's, you know, maybe still in progress defensive awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you brought up the, so just for context fred has said at some point at the in the middle of march that he thought that rest wasn't helping his knee which a is really bad and b is sad as well and then the next thing is that with that off-ball awareness stuff fred is shooting less than 30 percent on catch and shoot threes since the all-star break and this is a guy who at some point in january on really heavy volume was shooting over 50% on catch-and-shoot threes. So there's something going on with the shot. And he's also a guy who was really, really great against drop coverage this year. But since the All-Star break, since that knee, has also been fairly poor against drop coverage and has been getting blitzed a lot more often because of his burst being a little bit lacking. So how he fares in this series, and you were so correct to point out like how good he was. Fred at his size, considering what he gives you defensively, at one point this year, was 22-7 on 59% true shooting. Just really, really great guard play. And if that converges, then yes, it's super exciting. But I'm in the same boat as you. I have no idea what kind of Fred VanVleet you're going to get. the The shooting can range from incredible to obviously it's been pretty bad. And that's even just as a supplementary guy. That's not even including what he's doing off the bounce and that kind of stuff to manipulate out of the pick and roll, because while the Raptors have gone to, and you've seen this in the film, they run a lot of pick and roll with Siakam versus the 76ers, which they've typically, Nick Nurse hasn't given Siakam that many pick and roll possessions, but against the 76ers without Fred, he kind of takes that on. And so that's been really interesting. And I think we'll take this opportunity to move to the next guy who does fill in a lot of the roles that Fred has offensively when Fred is gone. Gary Trent Jr., who dribble handoffs, pick and rolls these actions with Pascal late in game, Gary has had a lot of success scoring in the clutch against the 76ers, running a lot of those same actions with Pascal that Fred would. What have you thought about Gary? And what do you think about Gary in this perspective series?
0: Yeah, I just, the one thing I would last note about Fred is the kind of the thing that I would, would monitor or would have monitored maybe if he was you know at full strength is, if if the Sixers, let's say, put Joel and Pascal and said, OK, let's just let's just see what we can do there. Like the Raptors could just say, OK, Fred, we're going to have you run a bunch of inverted pick and rolls late in the game and force Joel to make a decision, whether it's Maxi or, or Matisse or someone else guarding Pascal. Do you want to do you want to switch that? And now if, if Fred is not a real capable you know threat when he when he pops or he slides off of those screens, it makes it a little easier for the Sixers. That's a bummer but that's the other thing I want to just know. I think that's something you could see late in crunch time. If if the six year, if if Fred looks healthier or better, Um, but with Gary, I mean, he is such an interesting player because I I feel like he, like, how do you even scout for him? He just feels like either the shots go in or they don't, and they all are kind of the same and they're all tough, but they're impressive. Um, He gives this team some pretty important kind of bailout options in the half court um so i mean obviously he was great last game he was a, a key reason the, the the raptors came back and won that game um but he's also had a couple of at least i think he, i think he's played two games against the sixers this year maybe more
1: um i was looking at it yesterday but i couldn't i think he's played track. three because he was two in the three. december 28th one okay Yeah, uh, we played all four i stand corrected my
0: goodness um I played all four averaging 19 three or four on 49 percent true shooting um, 38% from three though. So that's always a benefit for the, for the Raptors. Um, I, I think, I think we'll see a lot of Matisse on, on Gary when Matisse can play, um, which is a really weird statement to say, um, but Hey, <laughs> not, not anything they can control, um, at least beyond Matisse. Um, I think we'll see a lot of him on, on Gary. And I think you could see some pretty considerable success, um, just with Matisse's ability to navigate screens and kind of his timing and, and you know his capacity to disrupt jumpers, um, there aren't a lot of players and defenders who can actually credibly impact the the out, outcome of a jumper. I think Matisse is one of a handful of guys, and that's why he already has an all defensive you know birth to his name. Um, but in the other in the in Toronto, I, I do wonder where they go if you're putting a Danny, you know, if you're putting Danny on on counts and help with Joel um are you like are you going with tobias because as to even though tobias isn't a great um rebounder super athletic he can still kind of attack the glass better than a lot of guys can inside and you probably want to keep tobias somewhere near the rim to kind of quell toronto's thirst for constant offensive rebounding chances um so and i I don't think i don't think tobias is a very good matchup you know they're well equipped to guard danny or to guard gary excuse me Gary, Danny, a lot of a lot of names like that apparently in this series. Um, <laughs> so I, I and then where like do you do you put Tyrese on? Because he'll just I mean Tyrese had some good possessions in this last game against against Toronto and against Gary, but he's also just too small. Like Gary will shoot over the top, and that's been one of Tyrese's downfall at times this year. He can be really well positioned on the ball and slide and, and stay in front of guys, but they'll just shoot over the top and he can't do much about it because he's not he's not tall, you know, in terms of perimeter defense standpoint. Uh, and it's not super long either, so um, I think you'll see, I think you'll see a mix of that. But then, if you put Tyrese on Gary, and you say, okay, you are maybe you can get to his hand a little bit and slide well, um, then who do you put on Fred Vliet? And that's where this whole this whole kind of mystery box of Fred comes out because if Fred is a guy who's still shooting twenty eight percent from three and has a forty eight percent true shooting, like if you're the Sixers, like with all due respect, like you probably don't care who guards Fred, right? Like for the most part, I'm not trying to say like, I'm not trying to be an indictment on Fred because everyone, like if you, you know, and other people know that I think he's had a great year, like, but if that's who he is, you don't bother much. You don't worry much about him, right? Like it's just the reality of things. So, um, but if he's really good and he's the guy who can give you, you know, 23 points on in four or three, as in four of nine from three and be the playmaker, then you kind of have to reprioritize him defensively. So, um, there's a big ripple effect with, you know, depending on what, what version of Fred we get here. Um, but that's, that's where I stand. You'll see Matisse on Gary a lot in those games that you know, Matisse is available. And, uh, and otherwise they'll depend a lot on what version of Fred shows up, but um, Matisse, at least in the Philadelphia games, I think will get a, a lion's share of the minutes on, on Gary.
1: I think it's obviously at a completely different level to James Harden, but there is some self author authoring power that, gary has in this series where if you get run off the line are you settling for what like you're really comfortable with or are you trying to extend that dribble and get to the rim a little bit and we've seen gary just for your context like the raptors this season gary gets to the rim more often late in games when guys are really kind of running up on his jumper because he's shot so well late in games as far as the jump shots go like it's it's been good for him And so I wonder if he can do that more consistently instead of just kind of, you know, lazily loping into that 17-footer off the bounce or something like that. If he can try and get something more concrete to push the 76ers and that kind of thing. And also another important aspect is with Fred and Gary, more than anybody else, especially considering how they shoot off the bounce, being able to make Embiid vacate the paint is pretty damn important for the raptors offensive rebounding prospects and if either one of them is running a dribble handoff a pick and roll whatever where mb has to come up a little higher that what that returns as far as offensive rebounds should be really really interesting and so og ananobi a guy who i'll have a video on yahoo sports and like i don't know you, the person who's listening to this now i don't know when you're listening to it but it'll be in an at like an hour from now for you and i jackson I think OG is going to be really, really damn good in this series. I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, th- I think he is. He is very much kind of the, the guy that could really eat up the soft spots in in the Sixers' defense. He could kind of be the the tireless Maxi, um, you know. Just intent in that sense. Obviously, they're very different players. I'm not comping them whatsoever. Um, so I, I aggregators, stay away. Um, <laughs> But um, I guess I'm an aggregator at times too. Should I just tell myself that. Um, but yeah, I think you know he's a guy that has a blend of strength and athleticism in the front court that the Sixers don't don't reciprocate um, because that's just a real a weak point in their roster construction is that kind of that blend of size, athleticism, mobility on the wings. Um, you know, so I think he's a guy who you know whether it's the catch and shoot threes or it's you know attacking or it's maybe posting up a little bit. You know, we've seen. Gradually, you know, the last few years, OG's self-creation, you know, abilities, you know, increase bit by bit. Um, and so I think he's really well, you know, well suited to attack this, the sixers defense. Um, and I think that's that's definitely an issue. I mean, you look, we're talking about all these matchups, right? These defensive matchups, whether it's Joel on on Pascal, Danny on Pascal, Danny on a Gary Trent or a Fred Van Vliet, a Tyrese on a, either of those backcourt guys. And then you look at James Harden and in that, that puts them in a tough spot Um, because again, I I don't think James has been some like awful defender with the cigarette. I think he's been very much up and down. He's had some pretty impressive games and some impressive moments, but he just is also limited. Like he just, he doesn't have the lateral quickness and I'm not saying, you know, OG is not some like blow by guy for the most part. Um, Maybe if he gets in the right situation, attacking off the catch and only it's a couple of dribbles, he can really kind of explode to the rim, but um. That's a tough. That's a tough proposition. I think you're probably going to see Harden on on OG, and your best bet if you're the Sixers is can Harden use those quick hands to disrupt OG's handle. Hand, his handle is light years better than it was when he entered the league, but it's still something that can hold him back at times when he tries to create or you know attack off a dribble and things like that. So um, that's one of James's best long-standing traits defensively is is that ability to um, you know use his hands as a stunt recover guy on digs, play um, the passing lanes. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the other thing that you're going to look for. And um, of course, the, the note thing everyone talks about with Harden all the time, defense. is always such it's an underrated post defender. Um, and that's one of OG's, you know, best traits. I think as a self creator, when he gets kind of when everyone devotes attention to a Fred or a Gary or a Pascal, and they leave their third or fourth best defender, OG says, "Okay, I will just, you know, if there's an opportunity, I will, I will attack that with my size and." kind of been back down maybe gets that turnaround jumper that he's really liked this year. Um, and so um, I just, I just, I think like if, if Harden is on him in like a, in kind of a straight line situation, I think he could have some success. If Harden is having to like tag and recover or stunt recover, or like rotate back on the weak side of things and OG gets the ball, they're going to be in a really tough spot because Harden doesn't have that lateral quickness to, to kind of compensate. But um, I think those will be the situations you see OG getting the ball more so than, you know, Really attacking on a post mismatch or attacking on a straight line because I don't think that's what OG is best suited for. And I think Harden can limit some of that. So um, that's, you know, it seems like I'm commenting Harden. I think he could do good things, but I think the situations OG is going to get the ball quite often, maybe, and maybe they don't have Harden on it. It could be Danny Green, but same thing applies. Danny is not very good in those kind of stunt and recovery situations, things like that. Like he knows angles but sometimes he just can't cut off the angle anymore these days, maybe the same thing with Harden. So I think OG is really well prepared to be that high volume release valve, you know, in the half court. Um, obviously it comes down to can the six, can the Raptors in the half court tilt the Sixers? Because we know I think the Sixers, I think the Raptors are like 26 and half court offense, according to Cleaning the glass. Um, but if they can get, if they can kind of at least throw the Sixers into motion whatsoever, the Sixers are gonna have a tough time recovering from that, and I think OG is is kind of uniquely um, qualified to exploit the Sixers' lack of athleticism and, and speed in, in the front court.
1: Mm-hmm. When we that's yeah, that's exactly it. I think so. The Raptors they're 26th, if I remember correctly, in half court, and then their offensive rebounding bumps them up to middle of the pack as far <laughs> as like points per play and points per possession. Kind of like the Grizzlies too, right? Except the Grizzlies have a higher ceiling. They just rebound mm-hmm. the hell out of their own misses. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That's that's my thinking as well, is that eating the soft spots and existing in all the places that are less glamorous is where OG Ananobi made his money. And he's expanded beyond that some, but also he can revert back to that for a playoff series and have lots of success. You can think back to the bubble series of Boston versus Toronto where OG played center and became like the de facto screener to free guys up to roll to the bucket and to pick and pop and all of that is on the table and available for them in this series as well and not only that but you know the the pin downs the the dribble handoffs where he can get downhill as you talked about with a head of steam he can actually be quite intimidating heading to the rim and how the post up offense turns out because they have used him as a post hub quite a few times this season what they decide to do based on personnel i think is really interesting but there's so many avenues to success on offense outside of just strictly catch and shoot guy, which he'll also probably be good at, or at least decent at. And then defensively, you know, he's going to have something to give as well. So I think a big series for him, regardless of anything, but Gary and Fred are where you can really start flipping this series on its head and their bench of Thad Boucher and precious because precious, there's probably a, a version of events where he ends up starting games and if he's shooting well from three, especially above the break, things could get really hairy for the 76ers. And adversely, things could get really hairy for the Raptors if Harden is passing really well and guys like Nyang and Danny Green, even Thibel, are hitting threes. That's when the Raptors' defense is just no longer tenable at that point. So, man, interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, benches. What, what do you think about the head-to-head bench matchup? Obviously, you know transitional lineups are are the bigger thing instead of just hey, who? What's your bench? But I'm curious about how you think they match up.
0: Yeah, so I think you know, the Sixers bench rotation is probably going to look like um, Shake Milton, George Niang, Paul Reed, um, maybe one more guy. I'm forgetting here. Um, geez, I should know these things. My goodness, I guess I guess, <laughs> guess Matisse Thiebel in half the games um, would be their fourth bench guy. Um, otherwise, I don't, I, I don't know. They could go to Isaiah Joe. They could go to Furkan Korkmaz in the games in Toronto. They could also just go eight deep. Um, but I think you'll obviously see Matisse off the bench.
1: No Uh, DeAndre. Uh,
0: not, not at least, well, I mean, who knows with Doc,
1: but yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but Doc, you know, obviously Paul Reed started to kind of get some rotation minutes. Um, I think starting with the. I want to say the Pacers game the date the game before they played this, the Raptors last, but the Pacers on a Tuesday last Tuesday. And then Paul Reed, that's Pacers, obviously a small team, you know, given their limited options in the front court right now, um, or at least previously since our season's over. Um, and Paul Reed has generally gotten the backup minutes because they played a bunch of small t- teams to close the year, whether it was Toronto, Indiana, Detroit. Um, actually, the only three teams I played to close the year, um, when Paul Reed got minutes, but who knows? Like, I, I mean, and he said that. He's, he said that when they, when teams are small, they're going to play Paul, and when teams are big, they'll play DeAndre. I would play Paul Reed regardless, um, but that seems to be – the Toronto seems to be an opportunity for Paul Reed to get minutes, and, and rightfully so. He's actually been pretty impressive. Um, was up and down in, in that game against Toronto, did better things than DeAndre Jordan's done in his time with the Sixers. So um, I think you'll see Paul Reed there, and that's, that's a boon for the Sixers because Paul Reed is probably this team's best rebounder, which – maybe his indictment on the rebounding, but is also testament to his ability to quickly get off the ground, read where the ball is going to come off, um, you know, just, you know, pursue, pursue rebounds with the level of athleticism and speed that most guys can't on the roster. So um, we'll see him. And I, I think, you know, he, he's, he, he does the way I've always termed it is he, he commits errors of commission rather than omission. And I think that's, Probably better, maybe not great for maybe your reliability or a coach having trust to use a young guy. But um, given the fact that DeAndre's issues stem from failing to rotate or box out or attack the glass um, or kind of bring a level of focus around the rim as a finisher, you'll take that with Paul Reed. So um, I I think with the bench, Shake Milton is going to be kind of important. Um, He's a guy you think should kind of be fairly well. Suited to kind of thrive playing alongside a Joel or a Maxi or a Harden, just take catch and shoot threes, attack the second side with a shot fake and get doing a little leaner, um, things like that. Um, but his slow release as a shooter and struggles shooting the ball from three the last couple of years have hurt him. Um, he likes to kind of get into guys' bodies as a creator when he attacks and use his size and his shoulders to create space. But there's not many guys in the Raptors lineup where he can do that. Um, because they don't really have many guards and whatnot available. And, you know, one of the ones I do in front of him fleet is maybe stronger than shake, uh, despite standing five or six inches shorter than him. So um, I think he'll be important. He's ended the year really well um, at a 30 point game, obviously against the, the skeleton Pistons. So I'm not going to take too much from that, obviously, if anything at all, really, but um, at the very least he is coming in, you know, having played one of his best games of the year and he's a guy who it seems like is always kind of tied to his confidence in the shot making, but um, that's with a lot of bench, uh, bench scores, I would say, but um, otherwise, you know, George Nang, you know, has been awesome this year, but he, it's like kind of with him, if he doesn't hit his threes, he's going to be a liability in this series, just especially with kind of the discrepancy and athleticism of the front court guys he'll have to match up with. Um, but he's hit his threes at basically 40% clip all year and, um, as a quick trigger and has paired well, you know, with Joel and, and James, um, whether it's running those pick and pops, the change or being just a release valve on post kickouts with, with Joel. Um, and then, you know, Matisse, I don't know what to expect from Matisse really. Um, he's definitely not been in as good as last year. He's better offensively. Um, Harden's helped him do some stuff. Joel's they've developed nice little chemistry in the dunker spot when Joel's in the post. Um, but all that stuff is tougher um because of the length of of toronto you know making things tough around the room as a finisher and he doesn't really have ball skills a lot of people have, you know when he got traded here a lot of people complimented bruce brown um bruce just has way more ball skills better floater better mid-range touch so um i, I don't know what to expect with matisse really um the, the defense has been a lot less consistent maybe that's because he's gone from kind of the change of pace guy alongside Ben Simmons to the clear best perimeter defender this year, Um, but it just felt more consistent. Obviously the stock numbers are still great, but I don't think he's been the all defensive caliber guy as last year. So, um, and and obviously the Raptors are a team that are are as well, you know, can can really exploit Matisse's offensive limitations just, you know, make reads tough on the weak side with their length and their playmaking instincts. So um, that's kind of a rundown on the Sixers bench. Um, I think, you know, one other thing I'd admit with Paul Reed is he's been a pretty impressive finisher as a roller navigating through tight windows, even when someone tags at the proper time, quick off the ground, kind of slither through tight spaces. So, um, I'm not saying Paul is going to be some incredible player, but I think Raptors fans will be endeared by Paul Reed because he probably reminds them in some ways of everyone they have not saying he's the same player, but long range mobile, um, plays super hard, can make things happen as a defensive playmaker tax the glass really well on both ends, smart cutter. So, um, he's a mistake prone, but I, I've been really impressed in the four games he's entered the rotation. I know that three of them can against the, you know, teams geared toward youth development with Indiana and Detroit. They played Indiana twice to close the this, close this season. So, um, we'll see, but I think Paul
1: Reed should be a, should be a
0: fun, at the very least a fun experience for everyone. And I think Raptors fans would definitely enjoy him.
1: E-ball Paul from DePaul. And, and Thibault, I think, is uh, it's interesting because Thibault is both um, ripe for the picking for the Raptors' defensive scheme, but also being a low turnover team, being so high isolation, and just keep and so low assist rate as well. The Raptors, you know, working so much in isolation, strictly in pick and roll and through the post, they actually limit a lot of Thibault's defensive like benefits as well, just by kind of mm-hmm. keeping that, you know when you're a hawk and that kind of stuff off ball, it's not as effective against the Raptors because they're not as interested in creating that way and ball reversals and stuff like that. They'll, they'll do like weave action, but you're not going to blow those up that often teams usually aren't that laissez faire with it, but length, tenacity versus ball skills. I think that's kind of the way that this has been teed up. Do you have a prediction at the end of all this?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I obviously I've thought a lot about it since it's basically finalized midway through Sunday's uh, finale uh, of games last weekend I I lean sixers and six and and here are kind of my my two pressure points as to why i I have to lean or side with Fred fortunately being the version of Fred we've seen the last two months um I just like I I, I get it if you want to feel a little bit I, like I think that's like totally fine but I just he's struggled so much offensively and been lesser version defensively I think that's a huge deal and as good as I think, the Raptors' offensive rebounding is part of me. Just thinks that maybe that's something that can gonna be schemed a little better against in a playoff series. Um, obviously, I think the the athletic advantages the these Toronto that Toronto has will persist, but I think you can be a little more diligent to limit that. And if you limit their second chances, as we've noted, the half court offense is is fairly stale. Even more so if Fred is not the guy that he was. Pre All-Star break, those things could obviously prove incorrect, and it probably comes off as almost Sixers homer. But I just, and I think the Sixers defense as well. Like you've seen really, really, really impressive flashes this year throughout the season. They still finished. I think they tied tied for tenth um, with the Raptors in, in defensive rating according to Cleaning Glass. Um, and i just seen quite a few games this year where they've like they've been really good. And they've been disciplined, and and I've seen a lot of games they've been buried by defensive communication breakdowns. And so that can certainly be the case. All the things that I said could be on the flip side. Fred could be the all-star again. The offensive rebounding could continue to be an absolute thorn in the, the Sixers' side. And the defense communication could continue to be shoddy at best. And the Raptors could win five or six or seven or four um, or whatever. I also think Matisse, as we noted, like him not playing, honestly is probably kind of a benefit for the Sixers. Um, if they like. I think at least in the starting lineup it is. I think the ripple effect of maybe playing a guy like for or Isaiah Joe um, could be the issue, but uh, people know that I'm not a huge proponent of Matisse as a starter. I just think there's been too many times where his defense is not good enough to offset the way that other opposing defenses really exploit his limited offense. So um, that's where I stand. And I also, I also speculate or maybe even posit that like not being able to kind of acclimate to Matisse's tendencies defensively works in his favor in the games he plays. I, I don't know. This is just my, I could be wrong on all these things. I'm not trying to come off as like some big you know, sixers person, but I think Matisse is a guy that want, the more you get to play against him defensively, you get comfortable with his tendencies, know how to exploit them. And I think he was only playing half the games. That makes it tougher. And you can, you can see a game where he has three or four steals slash blocks and ignites the transition and the sixers get, you know, six or seven points just from him alone. Um, but I could also be wrong. Again, all these things could be, these are all very much kind of pressure points or like inflection points maybe that could flip the other way in the Raptors' favor and I could be incorrect. And so I wouldn't be surprised in any outcome on the series, but I just lean six and six for the three or four reasons that I've named with, um, I think the defensive consistency, consistency will be a little better. The offensive rebounding won't be as big an advantage. I worry about Fred and I think Matisse's absence could sometimes work in the Sixers' favor, even if they're a ripple effect who has to play in his place in Toronto, uh, is not something that they should, uh, embrace or relish, I guess.
1: That was when I went on, uh, the Chucking darts podcast to do a Raptors Sixers preview. I answered, uh, Raptors in seven and he said on the away floor, really? And I said, yes, because they'll be able to play thigh bowl and that makes them worse. And <laughs> so you and I are kind of sitting in obviously not the same boat, but there's a similar, my thoughts are similar with the as yours, but yeah, as you say, there's a huge variance in this series. So I think you and I, like there, we agree on a lot of things. I don't, I don't even know where we disagree. It's, it's on the margins in a bunch of places, obviously, but, uh, Raptors and seven and Sixers and six doesn't even seem like they're that far apart just because of how many things are up in the air with this series. But, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see at the end of it all what it comes down to. And uh, if we get to do like, a, what's the term? When something dies and you look over it, what's the uh, postmortem? Is that the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Postmortem. If we get to do a postmortem yeah. on, this, on this series together or something like that to see where maybe we were right or wrong. But Sixers and Six for you, Raptors and Seven for me. I guess I've been told that's a coward's a selection, never pick a team in seven, but I think they win in seven. I'm so sorry. Uh, Jackson, before we get out of here, uh, your stuff, if there were Raptors fans or Sixers fans who are listening to this, where should they be keeping up with you to uh, get all of your insights during this time?
0: Well, one, I would say if the Raptors went in seven games again against the Sixers in the playoffs, the, the Sixers fans might uh, be <laughs> doubly permanently scarred. I'm sure they're already permanently scarred from the, from the last time these two teams met, but um, yeah, that would be, that would certainly uh, traumatize them even more, I'm sure. But um, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. You can find my work at Dime Up Rocks Basketball News, the Analysts and Liberty Ballers. I'll have a pretty extensive preview of this series, um, large largely from a six-year perspective, um, because I cover the Sixers um, over at Liberty Ballers, either today or tomorrow. Um, so anyone can check that out. Uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited for the series. Um, I, I do feel that, like all the factors we hit on will prove most instrumental, but my my read on how those factors play out will either be correct because my prediction, you know, proves uh, shrewd or being correct because I my the inflection point went the other way. So um, I definitely think we're generally locked up at her. Where exactly we we finish on those conclusions is a little, little different, but appreciate having me on and always doing talking Raptors and Sixers and basketball in general with you.
1: Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to your preview coming out and I will print it out and add it to Lewis's and make a small coffee table book to hand out before (laughs) the games. (laughs) Uh, Jackson, thanks so much for coming on, man. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, listener, I hope you enjoy the rest of yours. Get to listen to a little bit of uh, Jackson's insights about Philly, how they operate, how they succeed, how they fail, and how that might pertain to the Raptors in this series. Thanks for tuning in, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Hey, we got a podcast. I'll, I'll let you go right away, though, because, you know, it's your day off and all that. This will actually be up in like an hour, probably. And then so you'll be tagged in it and everything like that. So, yeah, we're yeah, all sure. set, man. Gonna, Thank you so much. My
0: taxes today. So that's a riveting experience. i not looking forward to that as a freelancer, but that's the oh, way it goes. Taxes.
1: So. Oh, taxes.
0: Put them off See. long enough. Gotta Every other day moving forward can be busy between now and Monday. So I'm are I'll do
1: it today. But you have me on, she shared, of course. You all, well, my friend. All right, take care, brother. I'll see you.